I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Get ready to meet the cello goblin himself, the wizard and prince of Jik from the land of Sneth. His whimsical music is a reflection of his message, that of making the impossible possible and living life with compassion and kindness. Today, I want you to meet Rashad Eggleston. Rashad Eggleston is one of my favorite human beings on the whole planet. I know that I say this about a lot of my guests, but that's the reason why they're my guests. It's because I want you to get to know some of the people that have completely blown me away by sheer, by their sheer presence in the world and by showing up exactly as they are. Um, Rashad is uh, a phenomenal musician. There's no question about it. Anyone that's gotten to see him play live knows that he is beyond a musician. He is beyond an entertainer. He is a unique representative from a land that many of us can only dream of or conjure up in our mind thanks to his storytelling and songs. I spent this hour with Rashad uh, slightly challenged by our technological communication. Unfortunately, uh, this is the time of COVID-19, and all the interviews have been kind of experiencing some glitches, uh, but that's okay. I hope with the magic of editing, thanks to Eros, that we will have an interview that's um, easy on the ears. But this particular one with Rashad was probably the most challenging one yet. Uh, the line dropped several times, so I apologize if it sounds a little glitchy in parts. Um, there are some kind of noise interferences as well, but trust me, if you can tune all that out and focus on Rashad and his message, it is worth the hour uh, spent. Um, yeah, I, I really don't want to say much more. I just want you to dive in and get to know him, listen to his wonderful storytelling, inspiring message, and also some snippets of his phenomenally beautiful music uh, and enjoyable music because it's it's not just beautiful, it's also very, very fun. Um, yeah, so that's all I got to say about that. Let's get busy. Coronavirus, I'm bored. Coronavirus, I'm bored sitting here all alone doing nothing being bored playing cello, yeah, but that's just like breathing. Boring. Breathing? Boring. Sitting? Boring. Phone? Boring. Girls? Boring. Jello? Boring. Cooks? Boring. Food? Boring. Everything is boring. Hey, Rashad. I'm so, so, so excited we get to do this. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. We've got so much to cover. Uh, welcome. Tharnox Maximus, it is a pleasure to be on your show and a pleasure to know that you are doing a show. Well, um, through much. Uh, so, um, before we get started and dive into all the wonderful things that I love to talk to you about, um, this is the stay at home era of the COVID-19, the coronavirus, the whole world is impacted. Um, on one hand, I kind of appreciate that it's created an opportunity for us to communicate. On the other hand, I recognize that, you know, it is kind of odd. And so the recording might have some glitches, everyone's on the Wi-Fi, so we might have some interruptions and I will preface that right away. Um, but outside of all of that, how are you handling and processing and living with this interesting time? 
Uh, that's a good question. I'm uh, more or less just doing what I kind of normally do in the half of my life where I'm not on tour, you know, because I kind of have two modes. One is totally on the road, scrambling here and there, everywhere, performing in rental cars and hotels and flying everywhere, doing that type of stuff. Or just my Honda cruising around on tour. Um and then the other mode is being at home and uh, and just kind of like pretty much disconnecting from the world except for posting stuff online, videos and uh, Facebook. That's how I stay connected at home, making videos. And, you know, it's a kind of a performance in a way because I perform for the camera and I get to play my newest stuff and then I get to get feedback on it right away, which is even, you know, quicker sometimes than the whole like going out and playing shows type of response. I don't know. Um, So anyways, it's very uh, much like I normally am, except that I can't really see people. I mean, I see my brother and I see my dad and we kind of are keeping our distance just to be safe and stuff, you know? Um, But yeah. And it, well, what it did is it forced me to move into my RV because oh. I just needed a place myself. Yeah. And uh, I had this R- RV that I'd driven out from Oklahoma. And uh, one day I was like, fine, let me just try it out. And I just moved like seven bags of groceries into there. And I got a little <laughs> space heater. And I got a trash can. And pretty soon I was like, you know, cooking up toast in a pan. <laughs> and so... It's super victory for me in there because yeah. it's like I'm a California homeowner now. Right. I have my own zone and I just blast away on the cello in there and write a bunch of songs. And, uh, you know, aside from the mega fear and tragedy sure. of the world and everything involved with that, hoping everybody's going to be okay. Yeah. It is uh, kind of like... Th- it's kind of almost like I like I'm being told it's okay to do what I normally feel guilty for doing, which is kind of just being a hermit. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that the creative process is uh, almost like like full of juice now, or do you feel like it's affected the process at all? Just because I mean, you sort of thrive in that alone, withdrawn space to really. Uh, create and to, you know, explode? And do you find that just the change of how much even more isolated you are, has that like even made the colors and the flavors even more enhanced? Mm, That's a good question. I think in some ways, but there's another stream of stuff that makes that cancel out kind of because because everybody's so busy and like there's so many more people like trying to talk to everybody and to me at the same time, you know, and like, uh, it's almost become a more stressful period because it's like, this person wants me to do a live stream and then these people want me to do a live stream. And then there's like a workshop and then there's like these video conferences and it's kind of a little bit less, um, it feels less isolated than I normally am, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. I, you know, it's so funny, because as you were saying that, I, I realized, because I'm always on the go to and I've got, you know, school, and I've got work, and I've got the boys, and I've got family, and I've got friends. And I thought, oh, this is great, I get to turn everything off. And yet, I find that every day is kind of filled with more stuff. I think the big difference is, is though, that um, we have the advantage of really prioritizing now, maybe a little more. Um, 
you know, with you being so, you know, high on demand as far as, you know, musical opportunities, but also because people know that you've done the live thing with such ease and comfort for so long. It's like, oh yeah, we, we know you, you know, we know you can jump into that realm and into that world and you can deliver. And so maybe for you, there's also even a little more pressure than most artists that maybe have not done so much of the uh, streaming platform. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that, but that might be true. Although, uh, yeah, you know, that's oh, that was all fine for like Facebook and Instagram. But like I was saying earlier, uh, the Zoom, trying to figure out Zoom and yeah. like because I was doing a, a few performances for a tech company, like literally like calling everyone and like Comcast wouldn't come and install the thing and like a new modem to get faster speed. I was just going everywhere trying to figure that out. So yeah. in that way, I was like, Oh, it was stressful. Yeah, yeah was it is. Hard. I do think, though, that now's a good time to maybe get some stock in Zoom because everyone is using Zoom and on Zoom. I don't even know how that works. I mean, I'm being silly, but uh, it's like Zoom has become the word that people are saying the most, I think, after coronavirus these days. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's go back in time. Let's go back to when Rashad was um, discovering music and the cello. I'm really curious about that because... I love storytelling. I love people's stories. Uh, I'm a lover of fairy tales. I feel like our lives are fairy tales with the good, the bad, and the ugly, the evil, and the heroic. Um, and so the, the point of the podcast is for us to really connect in that way. And, you know, you have lived your life in such a fairy tale presence. Um, and we'll get into that at some point in our conversation. But let's go back to the very beginning. Um what what can you tell us a little bit about you know little Rashad? Uh, little Rashad was very playful and energetic. Um, I guess also kind of serious. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It depends on how little you're talking about. Um, because when I I was twelve years old when I really got into music that was when i made it something that i wanted to do myself mm -hmm. versus uh something that was just like school like i had to do it did you have the same imagination before the music penetrated your realm or so i guess who came first the chicken or the egg was it the music or the the world the fantasy uh it was probably the fantasy world in a funny way because you know like uh, many kids I was really into sports and uh I was the oldest of three you know mm -hmm. am the oldest of three yeah. and uh, there was you know back when you're like five and four and three like they were too young to really I don't know I I had to play I was playing by myself a lot right. and announcing and I got into being an announcer. And so I would make up, I would make up all these teams and like, there was the team of good guys. And then there was the team of bad guys. And, uh, you know, and then they would always be battling. And then I would draw out, like I would make up whole like leagues worth of teams with oh. different lineups, you know? Oh yeah. And stuff. So, uh, and I think that that was maybe the, uh, Maybe the first time I encountered my own made-up word 
or whatever, or perhaps it was a spirit entity, but it was the goalie on my imaginary soccer team, and his name was Itch Tabley. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I don't know, like Itch Tabley, it was so obvious. I didn't have to sit there and whittle it out a stone or anything. It was just like, it just came Itch Tabley, very easy. That It just organically showed up. So I'll tell you, okay, again, because this is storytelling and connection. Um, when I was about that age as well, like around, you know, bef- tween or pre-tween, actually, my siblings and I, and this is, you know, not a secret. I've talked about this several times with, you know, people that know me pretty well, but it's also in the book that I just finished writing my memoir. Um, the story is of the world that I created, you know, and it's part of the reasons why I relate so much to some of the things or most of the things that you have um, shared with us. I had a world that I had created with my siblings and a couple of my best friends called Bunga. And <laughs> like wow. you, oh yeah, Bunga. And we had, there was a whole, I mean, on on the weekend, my sister and I would pack our backpacks and go to school in Bunga. And our best friend in Bunga was Cananese. And again, it was like one of those things where the name just came to us. And we had our whole language, and we could communicate with each other in that language. And so I think it's one of those things that um, if children are really, you know, living those realities with such such conviction there has to be something about it that we don't know and that many of us lose as we grow older but not all of us as you are proving and so yeah that's kind of cool so yeah yeah because yeah i mean they are living it with conviction because children for some reason are not trying to rationalize it and be like wait is this real or is it not am i just fantasizing they're, they go all in as if it doesn't matter whether it's real or not. Right, exactly. Because I think that the whole concept, even of whether something is real or not objectively, is a human concept. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, so true. Um, where did and when did music show up then for you? Well, you might know that I uh, was started on the violin, on classical violin, Suzuki violin lessons That's right. by my mom when I was three. And then a few years later when I was eight, I switched to the cello. And I did pretty good on both of them. You know, I like entered some contests and played in some orchestras and I went to some pretty uh, intensive summer music camps and stuff. But I didn't really like, I didn't really like, consider it part of my identity you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like baseball and like soccer and like tennis like that's who i was you know music was just something that i had to do but when i was 12 i uh, picked up the guitar and i started listening to music on my own you know that because fortunately there was it was a pretty rich time for music there was nirvana Mm -hmm. acdc guns and roses metallica and uh Megadeth, Pantera, Joe Satriani, a lot of, uh, you know, heavy rock stuff that was pretty awesome and inspiring to a young kid who I felt that the power, the the main thing about music was that it was supposed to give you adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And so I would get super hyped up, which I later used to figure out how to appreciate Vivaldi and like Rossini. Oh, wow. (laughs) And Paganini, you know, based on the same principle of this primal, energy that you get from music um which you could probably see how it relates to the music that i make now because it's a lot of like really fast stuff Very but much. anyway 
anyways, yeah, it was about when I was 12 that I really got into it. Um, and it was increasing and increasing. And, uh, then it, <clears throat> there was a couple things that happened that changed my life forever and made me decide that all I was going to do with my life and all of that I wanted to do to the exclusion of just about everything else was play music. Mm. And that happened when I was 13. Uh, cause I, I, first I won the talent show in eighth grade and wow. which turned me, it changed my whole status among school and my peers and whatever from some total dork that Aww. every, everybody generally made fun of. Um, to, I mean, like I was, I was all right. It wasn't like I was like super picked on. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, like some people like stole my lunch money and hung me from the door and like wow. whatever. And no one was like beating me up. I didn't come home yeah. with a bloody nose. Like people were just like, you know, kids, it's not a big deal. You get teased for being a dork mm -hmm. and just for not getting it. You know, it was like everybody else was in on some secret at school that I wasn't, you wow. know, and like, I didn't understand you know, like everybody, even in eighth grade, after the talent show got one, I think at the end of the year, they all, everyone, all my friends, everybody, they were talking about this big party that everyone is having at the end of the school year at this restaurant. And like, I still don't know why I didn't get invited, you know? Wow. I was like, I wasn't part of the crew. Do you think even part of that, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to real, ask real quick, yeah, because I'm just curious. Do you think part of it is because you had this like, interestingly exotic name, um, the, you, I, you know, that's a good question. And I have wondered about that before. I wondered if maybe I wasn't considered part of the crew because I wasn't one of the straight up white kids, mm, you know, mm -hmm. in a, in a pretty intensely white area. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have wondered about that before. I, I've, I've even wondered about that in my like general, like standing in the folk music world. Like, of course, I've pulled some maneuvers that people consider, like, I don't know, off-putting or, like, wild or extreme or whatever. But on the other hand, you got to wonder if in a fairly conservative world, being named Rushad, or especially when people think my name is, like, I don't know, like, Rashid, is he? Right, you know, right, it, yeah. You gotta wonder. No, and and that's but, a, and that's a very very valid point to pause on. And the reason I ask is because there is this stigma around you know confusion and misunderstanding of you know all those things that relate to culture and identity and race and heritage and all of that. And I always wonder, you know, how people with unique names. Um, you know, show up in the world. I mean, it serves them. Obviously, once people really understand, like you said, you won the eighth grade talent show, all of a sudden people noticed Rashad, you know, and uh, you do some pretty fabulously amazing things, you know, and unfortunately, people only measure those successes with the awards or the accolades or the titles. And then they notice that there is something that we haven't you know, paid attention to. Um, it, it's just, it's an interesting commentary, I think, on just how the world functions overall. And I'm, I'm really uh, not surprised that this has been, to some extent, part of your experience. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not going to come out and say, because I don't, I don't have enough evidence. It's all just like, right. you know, in theory. But uh, I have often wondered, like, what if my name was Steve? 
Right. Or what if my name, or what if I went by my middle name, Bob, like right, how, right. how would Bob the cellist have done in this environment? You know, exactly. would it have been different? Yeah. And it might, it may, it might've been, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's been some weird things, but yeah. part of, part of it is like my, uh, kind of my refusal to grow. Up. I still feel like, uh, even though I'm like 40 now, mm-hmm. still tons of adults, it just seems like everybody I meet, whether they're younger than me or older, that's like from the normal world, they like talk down to me like I'm a kid. Like they think they're like, um, you know, like I get in trouble for things. I get warned about things. I get all this unsolicited wow. advice. Oh, and it's uh, it's happened my whole life. And it's really funny. And it's funny. It's funny to hear that because as someone that has had the privilege and the honor to get to know you, you know, we've known each other now for a few years. Um, you know, we've stayed in touch and we've had some really amazing conversations. There is no, you know, you are one of my favorite people to talk to because the conversations with you go from the space of innocence and childlike wonder to these deep existential, you know, questions and conversations. So it's jokes on them, really, you know, these people who are kind of on the flat platform of what they assess as adulthood. Um, But that being said, um, you know, you, you did dive into the world of music at some point, you know, once you got to college and you attended Berkeley, you were the first um, string player awarded a full scholarship at Berkeley College of Music, which is kind of a, a huge deal. And you've opened up the door for so many other string players. Um, and that's kind of amazing at Berkeley. Once you got over to the college adult world, how did that change, at least temporarily, your your way to present yourself in the world? Because I'm guessing at some point you had to play the game, for lack of a better word. Um, did I have to play the game? Uh, and maybe you didn't. Maybe I, I'm assuming. I think, I, I think that I did. It's weird because, you know, I wouldn't call myself a lazy Lazy is not the right word, um, but there is a theme that has run throughout my life, which is very applicable to college and what happened, which is like, I will do the bare minimum to get where I, to, you know, just to get the, to get them off my back, whoever Mm -hmm. them is, you know, to get by, I do the bare minimum because like I was saying, when I, when I was, uh, this theme is avoiding, that which feels like work and that which feels like homework and accentuating that which feels like play and delight and exploration yeah. and, uh, you know, everything that's involved with music. And I don't know, I still don't know whether that's like a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I feel like most things is probably a blessing and a curse. But when I was 13, I wrote a letter to my parents saying, hey, look, I've decided I want to be a musician. This is all I'm going to do with my whole life. And my dad had encouraged me, you know, he told me about how much Jimi Henderson and uh, Jimi Hendrix and Oscar Peterson practiced, Mm. you know, he said 16, 18 hours a day, even on the toilet and stuff. And he was telling me when I was, because he could see that I really wanted to do it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you can do it. All you have to do is decide that that's what you want to do. So then later, maybe it backfired on him because I wrote them a letter and and I even wrote a letter to the school paper saying that homework was an invasion of my own time and privacy 
because what I was, I was trying to work on something. And then there was this other thing that was trying to take me in this other direction where I being a sovereign yeah. entity, I decided that that wasn't the direction my life was trying to go in. I knew where I was going. That's awesome. So I wanted that to stop. So then they let me magically, they like, they heard me on it and they're like, all right, we found you this test. All you got to do is go into this room and take this test. And uh, then you can get out of high school. And I was like, no way. What is the best day of my life? <laughs> and so I went and I, uh, I took the test when I was 14. And then so my junior and senior year, the years where it gets really heated and hard in high school, I was just cruising. I was at home playing cello all day. And uh, it was wow. the best time of my life. And it was extremely, uh, it really set the stage for everything else to come in a positive and negative way. Because clearly, as a young kid, that's going to set up the expectation in your life that like, all you got to do is sit there and do what you like to do. And then doors will open up for you and you don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do, you know? Wow. So wow. I'm still, I'm still fighting that battle. And when I got to college, it was kind of the same thing. You know, uh, I started off taking the, um, the general ed classes that you were supposed to take to get a bachelor's degree in music, which is what it was expected that an American, all the other Americans in Berkeley were doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then then I got uh, I got called for a big gig um, with Daryl Anger and Stuart Duncan and Bruce Molsky and Brittany Haas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Stuart and Daryl at that point were definitely two of my heroes. And I was like, man, I got to be so much better than I am right now. And here I am wasting my time writing essays for some bachelor of music that why am I even going to need a degree? So then I, <laughs> I pulled that card and I was like, man, screw the degree. And we, I stopped taking the degree program and just opted for a diploma. And then, uh, then I suddenly freed myself up another four hours per day to practice. Wow. And I went and used them, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not, I, so that's why I can't just call myself lazy because I do work hard. I just work hard on the things that I want to work on. And, um, yeah, so, lazy yeah. would not be a word that I would find, you know, closely associated with you. You are extremely active. You're extremely creative. Um, lazy to me is someone that does not apply themselves, that chooses to, you know, dismiss every kind of hard work. And you've not only worked very hard, you continue to work very hard. I mean, you're the library of music that you've created is kind of insane. So yeah, I would definitely not ever categorize, you know, you in any realm close to the word lazy. Yeah, quite the opposite. Um, in the midst of this time, though, you just mentioned, you know, people like Bruce Molsky, and um, I believe you mentioned Daryl Anger, and, you know, uh, amazing musicians that were, I'm sure, mentors, inspirations, and also took you under their wing. You jumped into a variety of projects. You know, many of us who are familiar with your music are familiar with several of the projects and bands you've played with, from uh, Crooked Still to Tornado Writer, and, you know, some of the other stuff that you've done, which is phenomenal and amazing, and, you know, people should look it up. But really, where you and when you exploded was when you completely embodied your cello goblin truth and kind of came out to the world with your solo voice, both, you know, from your throat and through your instrument. Um, tell us about the process of getting to that point of like all of a sudden finding your, 
which it sounds like you weren't, you didn't find it. It sounds like you just brought it forth to the rest of us. Cause it, from everything I've heard today is you found a lot of that at that same, you know, young age of 13, 14. Um, when did you realize that you wanted the rest of the world to, you know, be familiar, familiarized with that Rushad? Uh, that's a great question. And the thing is that it wasn't always a very clear vision or sometimes it was a clear vision, but it, it was kind of like a following a moving target. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like the, cl- I would be heading towards it super hard with all my might. And then before I knew it, it was in a totally different direction. And then again, it would change direction. And again, you know, like, okay, when I started, when I was like 13, I wanted to be a guitarist. That was my instrument. I wanted to play the guitar. And I, I wanted to be a rock guitarist. And I wow. drew pictures of myself with long hair up on big stages with big amps, like the people that I idolized, you know? Like Slash then, and people like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, but then, you know, uh, a couple of years later, I got back into classical music and then I wanted to be like more like Rostropovich or Yo-Yo mm. Ma. I wanted to be like a... I want, I even told some career guy that came to our high school, he's like, what do you guys want to do? And I was like, I want to be a world-class cellist. Wow. I thought that was, I thought that's what was cool, you know? And I imagined myself being a soloist with orchestras. Well, then a couple years later after that, um, I suddenly got way into like folk music and fiddle music. And I thought that, well, that's what I want to do is to like, uh, you know, bring the cello into that. Um, which you did. And, I mean, you definitely brought the cello into that in a way that was so insanely innovative. It was the talk of the the genre, if you will. And it definitely opened up the door to so many other young cellists still today. I personally know one who lives in the house with me, my very own son, who has completely, you know, exploded from that uh, inspiration. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. No, it's amazing. It's amazing the ripples you can leave by following your own joy you know what i mean oh, yeah. and and i would like to keep reminding myself of that because it isn't only a past tense thing it's a it's a present tense thing because you know like of course somebody could could discover what i'm doing now and take a similar uh, inspiration from it or whatever but the point is um no that's awesome and it's like one of the reasons to be super grateful in life mm-hmm. it feels like <laughs> it's all worth it you know to yeah. inspire the young ones oh yeah um but gosh, what was I saying? There was an important point in there. Sorry, you were you were definitely talking about the fact that you were um, the traditional world where you were playing music in the traditional world through the fiddle music and all that, and then. Oh yeah, I think I was going for a long winded way of explaining how the the Rushad that we know today finally showed up. Yeah, it, it was a long process. It wasn't like I. When I was 22, for example, I didn't see that there was this like goblin that was going to like play cello in this weird style and like sing in its own language and dance mm-hmm. around in a jester costume. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. I was only, uh, I was still coming out of the folk music world and I had, I was starting to write my own music and I was starting to, uh, make up or channel a lot of words, tons of words and tons of music and tons of words and music and melodies and then combine them all together. I didn't have a clue how that was going to come across. And Mm -hmm. I started a wild band of Sneed to try to get that. And so that got part of it, but it was way more on the kind of like delicate and whimsical end of things. Cause then there was 
Then there was all this life to deal with. And then I started going on tour real heavy with all kinds of people. And that influenced things. And then I moved to California and then I had all these relationships with girls and it was, and then my life heated up and exploded mm-hmm. and I went through Saturn return and all that stuff. And then I, I, then I thought that the answer was rock and roll, like, cause folk music was too limiting. And so I kind of like abandoned my own whimsical side to try to like do some like power rock, like more ego led type of heavy stuff you know and then i I had a band called the butt wizards and then that turned a bunch of crazy weird life stuff happened and then it turned into tornado rider and that turned into five years of hard touring and uh in mostly in bars you know Mm -hmm. in clubs just like and you know in a way so that was like this the most um that was like the soloist direction, the most solo, uh, like the most my own project that anything had ever been. But in a way, it was kind of not that much closer to my whole vision, although it was a very important part of it, right. you know, because it, through that, I learned how to be an entertainer and how to like command up on the stage and to like really let it all out and like whatever comes into my mind or whatever comes through my body to just like go with it you know absolutely and uh so after that when I started being okay with playing solo then I was able to try to find a way to take some of that rock and roll type of energy and the whimsy of the mystical words and melodies and stuff and then also this new stream of cello playing and put it together into a thing that is uh, personal. One of the things that's really cool about the solo work that you've done, especially in the last 10 years, you know, everyone that knows you and knows your music and has followed you and has been a fan both of your music and of your performances um, and of Sneth World is pretty much the evolution of your process. Because to a lot of people that just kind of get a glimpse or a taste of it can see Rashad in the last 10 years as this particular cello goblin. But the truth is, even in that 10 year span or so, there's a constant and perpetual evolution the Rashad that played you know the songs you know in the earlier phase of your solo career had a specific message with a very specific sound and today I mean those of us who follow you can tell that there's a very different Rashad back then to the Rashad today you know it is still the cello goblin absolutely that you know shines forth with you know all of your authentic and magical presence but the sound of the cello, the the type of music, and even the messages in those particular songs are quite different from what we hear today. And that's the beauty, I think, of your artistry, is that it's this very specifically clear, authentic process of artistry, authenticity, and evolution. I think you've given yourself permission to go with where your, your channels of inspiration lead you to. And I think... Uh, if anything comes out of our chat today is just that, you know, how 
how important and how beautiful the process is when we allow ourselves to float down the river of our authentic selves. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a great way of saying it. And, and also very true. Well, it's kind of like what I have recently uh, discovered about, um, about being a wizard. Because in my life, I've always wanted to graduate from goblin to wizard one day, right? Like, yes. I'm like, okay, goblin is great. But like, wizard, like the level of magic and mastery and like sparkly, yep. purple, glowing wonder, that's the level I want to be at. And also like everybody online is always commentating and friends are like, everybody's always like, you're a wizard, you're a wizard, oh, you're yes. a wizard, you're a wizard. And so I, but I don't want to just like walk, it feels like kind of like, um, I don't know, boastful or something to call yourself a wizard until I realized that being a wizard is not a destination. It is a, uh, it's a journey. It's an inquiry into a whole world of being. It's a perpetual becoming. You yes. know what I mean? Well, with the wizard, with the wizard persona, um, which, you know, in essence is, it's a privilege to be a wizard um, because it means that you've done so much work to get to a point where you know that your process continues and that the creative magic is now a responsibility and and you take it very very seriously as we talk about the goblin and the wizard can we talk a little bit about sneth i know that you've in the past said that sneth was a placeholder which i love 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 that definition um i think we all have something similar to that and we're all a little embarrassed or shy to admit uh can you tell us a little bit about that uh, yeah, well, to me, uh, it's the place where my personal imagination connects to like intersects, if you will, with, uh, or overlaps with infinity, you know, yeah. the, the straight up like source of all things or wherever I stop being myself deep enough in my subconscious or whatever, or in my imagination and become like everything, mm. but so, some, somewhere in between there where it's still a little bit personal, that's where the land of Sneth is. Wow. wow. You know? Yeah. It's like, is, so I, I can't, I'm not saying that, uh, so there, there might be, it's not even a question of might. Like, I don't think we even have the words to describe these things, but to me, the land of Sneth is like absolutely real and the beings and the words there, it exists. Mm -hmm. it, it's out there, but it's, it's such a specific place in between out there and me <clears throat> that I don't know that I could tell anybody else how to get there, right. except th what I can do is I can take from that world and share it with this world, you know, in the hopes that it just opens up more magical channels of awesomeness so do you see the land of sneth then your interpretation of that space in between or is that specific space there that many of us could obtain that same exact or do we each have our own version of sneth yeah i wouldn't be able to comment on how much everybody has their own version of sneth or not you know because uh Obviously, I've I've been pretty uh, I've been pretty lucky to be so encouraged in those departments, and to also have been become known for uh, to have become known for being a kind of a weird person and kind of an elf, and like it's no big deal that I wear an elf hat, and mm -hmm. like I'm mm -hmm. I'm that's that's kind of my role on 
in in the world to a lot of people and to my fans and stuff right. is to is to be that guy that has an imaginary land and yeah so maybe like everybody else is of course entitled to have their own um imaginary land and maybe that is uh just what needs to happen so i i don't know yeah i mean i guess uh, you know what you described is so profound and so it, it to some extent it's kind of what some if we really want to go completely like out there um what religions sometimes also offer to some extent where there is the mythical versus the practical versus the you know ultimate um theological or spiritual destination and it sounds like what you described of you know sneth being that kind of in between the world of like far out there and your world it kind of is is the middle space where you can really find you know all the colliding energies that ultimately are serving you know you or serving humanity to some extent and you're working as this ambassador uh, representative wizard prince king you know whatever the title is but you're definitely helping us see so much of beyond, you know, the beauty and the cuteness and the sweetness of the characters, there really is a very, very profound message. Um, and that's, I think, what I was trying to get to when I said, do we all have the opportunity or the ability to get to a place that's like that? And uh, well, I, th I think the answer to that is is kind of yes, now that I have a second more to think about it. But it, it, it reminds me of, uh, I mean, were you done with what you were going to say there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, because this, uh, oh, like, like for example, one time, I think it was in 2005, like I wrote this song that was, that went like, uh, won't you pray to Ben Strika because we all name the Lord. Right. And mm -hmm. it was because it was the Ben Strika was, was one iteration of my personal name for like the goddess, which was just, a, it's just like a. A, a conveniently personal embodiment of infinity. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. in the wet, we draw, we draw Jesus, like Americans and stuff draw Jesus as like a white guy with a beard, right. but that isn't always how Jesus was portrayed. And then when you look at the holy figures of the East, they have like dark skin and they have the Eastern features and stuff. You know what right, I mean? Right. So I feel like everyone is all always like a kind of, what do they call it? Anthropomorphizing or whatever. Oh, yeah. oh, and if you look at Eastern and even Greek mythology or Roman mythology, there's even animals involved, a lot like your drawings, where there's like characters that are blended characteristics of all kinds of beings, not just humans, which is kind of beautiful. Um, yeah, that and and with the whole idea of animals, I think it's it's it would be completely um, silly of me to forget to mention the importance of your recent journey with veganism and how that has been to some degree transformative, I'm sure for you personally, but also in your music, we're hearing it and seeing it. And as another fellow vegan, I'm, I am curious to know a little more of what you'd like to share about that process and how that's maybe changed you and transformed you maybe personally and also um, artistically. Ooh, yeah, that is a great question. And well, thank you for asking it. I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm, uh, slowly, slowly getting the courage to, <clears throat> to want to be more outspoken about that, you know, because there's a whole, like, 
there's the like, oh, don't get political with your art if it's just like supposed to be for everybody or whatever, you know? Sure. But I I mean, but that goes beyond political. It's just like, it's like decent. And like, I just can't stand um, seeing like living sentient beings on earth, like especially mammals, just to be brutalized in such a fashion. And I think that truthfully, if anybody knew what was if, if people knew what was going on, they would not want to support it. Yeah, because people are good. People are generally good, and also people because of uh, marketing and and uh, tradition and convenience, and for all these v- different reasons, they can turn a blind eye and just say like whatever, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No. That's and you're right. This is not a political conversation. This is a human conversation. This is. I mean, at the core of it all, this is a a question of, like you said, it's it's the beings that we're sharing the world with. It's about cruelty or compassion. It's about kindness or hatefulness. It's it it is way way beyond the political realm. Or it's not a red or blue issue. It's not a um, you know capitalist or socialist issue. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think we all can learn so much from how. If we are able to treat the smallest and the most vulnerable amongst the living beings, how can we not then do the same for the fellow humans that are just like us? And and I think that's at the core of the vegan message more than any more than the fact that don't eat meat or don't you know consume dairy products. It's it's really more about how do we treat each other. Yeah, it's it's sad that people see it as such like a don'tist movement where people think that being being vegan is about like being a police and is all about what you can't eat and what you're not doing, but it's really an opportunity to make the world better. And like, that is awesome. Yeah. But, uh, also I feel, uh, personally a lot more harmonized with my own message and my own self. Like if I'm, uh, you know, espousing a land of snef that, that it's like a peaceful land where there's no such thing as like pain and suffering and then yet if I'm putting into my mouth and paying with my own money that I make from this whimsical music, if, if I'm using that money and my energy to pay for, um, you know, the slaughter of innocent beings, like yeah. the extreme bu- brutal slaughter and torture and just like the most horrific things that you could possibly imagine – yeah, there's no, there's no way that knowing that I want to put that in my mouth or pay for that in any way, you know? And I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I, I would like to, uh, believe in a world where that doesn't have to have, doesn't have to happen, you know, also in the same way that I would like to believe in a world where I don't have to like do a bunch of work. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I wish we lived in a world where it wasn't about the mighty dollar, where it wasn't about harming others in order to gain more for ourselves. You know, the competitiveness, you know, people keep saying that there is something still healthy and valid about being competitive. But I mean, is there really? Um, I understand that in sports, there's value to competitiveness. And, you know, perhaps there's a way to obtain that same gratification and that same joy without the nature of, 
you know, feeling like you have to put someone down in order to feel better about yourself. And that doesn't mean that, oh, you know, a team can't win and a team can lose. That's, I think there's ways to win and lose with deep, you know, celebration and gratitude for one another, but without that desire to crush someone. And I think uh, we're on the cusp of seeing a great decline in that particular energy. Um, you know, like every civilization that rose to the top, it had to come down. I think we are now at the peak of that greedy and and um, competitive and extremely egotistical and self-serving process. Yeah, man, you know, that's that's fine. I think the, the world has had enough of that, you know, and I saw it growing up playing sports because there was a point when I was, you know, where I was like, it was like, yeah, baseball, baseball is really fun. Like, hey, this is great times, fun, 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 baseball, soccer, tennis, whatever. But then I got to high school and it was like, no, this isn't fun. This is serious. Like, you, you got to like, you got to like hate the opponents and you got to be ready to get in a fist fight with them. And you even got to be ready to get in a fist fight with your teammates. Because right. like, that's, that's the level that everybody was at. There was actually one baseball game where we lost to like one of our rivals, PG. We lost to like nine to nothing. And there was a benches clearing brawl afterwards. Wow. And everybody from both teams was fighting. And I was just sitting there on the bench by myself in the dugout. And then my team came back and they all yelled at me. They're like, dude, what are you doing? There's no I in, there's no I in team. We need your support out wow. there. And I was like, I was like, dude, they beat us in the game nine to nothing. What are we going to how are we going to win by going to try to fight them? So it was so dumb. Good for you for knowing that as a child, you know, you did, we did talk a little bit about your life in the sports world before finding music. Um, You've given up that kind of sport, um, I guess, commitment or activity, but you are a very athletic person. You're a very athletic performer. Um, It really makes for the colorful entertainment that you display on stage. But outside of that, you know, in your personal, um, I think, rejuvenation, you do find a lot of pleasure and gratitude and especially climbing trees. Uh, We've seen many videos of you climbing trees. Uh, tell me a little bit about the athleticism of that process, but also about the magnificence of that experience, because it's back to that, again, that connection, that knowing what's greater than us and how do we find a way to connect with it. And really, there's nothing greater than the tall standing trees that, you know, are all around us and hopefully will be here still for centuries to come. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I have, uh, and have always had, but it's been even increasing. It's like one of those things that the more you do it, the more it grows, like my reverence and awe for trees and just, I don't know, being plants that are so huge. Um, and the reason that I like climbing them so much is like multiple and I get more reasons for it. And, and like I said, it's like a growing thing. Part of it is a little bit of thrill seeking. I think I had to admit to myself mm. the other day after I was living up in Northern California for a second on the coast and they have like some really huge trees. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I was climbing some that were over 150 feet tall oh, wow. up there. Oh. And, and my desire to go to the top is is like greater than my desire to not stress myself out or get into a prickly situation. 
And so I was getting into some very strange maneuvers where I was like completely stretched out, like hugging this trunk of the tree with my one foot on a dead branch and my <sighs> other heart. And then like doing a full pull up onto this other zone. And like, I don't know, there was some great, I pulled <laughs> some crazy maneuvers up there. Uh, and I hope to not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a thrill seeker necessarily, but it does have like an addictive quality to it. The rush of adrenaline that you get and also how it forces you to be totally in your body and in the moment and not tripping about girls or business or Mm. emails or career or any of that stuff, because it's like, dang, you're right there. But I think the thing that I'm always seeking with uh, being out in nature is just like the beauty and the wonder and the awe and the things that make me feel like I'm flying, you know, because when I'm at the top of a tree and all I can see is the tops of other trees, it's a different world up there. It's not the world of the ground. It's not the same vibration. It doesn't feel the same at all. It feels like I'm flying. It it literally feels like flying, which is also um, how uh, to tie this back into cello. And the physicality of that yeah. somehow the ba- the bounce and like playing like fast rhythms on the cello where it locks in and it becomes effortless and it isn't like this concentrated thing you lock into this kind of mental trance and a physical uh, groove that also feels like I'm flying it gives me it feels like it gives my heart and my soul like wings and oh, that's uh, so beautiful wow and, and I'm all, I'm all about seeking that type of feeling whether it's up in trees or like skipping down a path or like going out where the wildflowers are or like uh yeah this uh i realized that that i really enjoy i think it was last night even that this physical aspect of music and blending that in with like the intellectual aspects that over the soul aspects or whatever because the bounce is a very like physical thing you know, it's like oh, yeah. learning to do do a trick and like using these muscles to get over and over again to figure out how to do this one thing. Kind of like you would if like my brothers do when they're on skateboards where you like learn and yeah. perfect a trick right, or right. or any 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 sports activity where you're learning and perfecting this physical trick. Right. But this is like a physical trick that combines with like the music in a way that it like scratches both itches for me you know right and and when one observes you playing you know in that way when you are moving the bow and doing all those bounces and the fluffiness of it it's like it's sometimes and i don't you may not even know this but for the person who's watching sometimes it's so supersonic that it almost looks bionic it's it's like visually it's like sometimes your hand is moving so fast the bow is moving so fast that it's impossible to com- to track it down you know and you're right oh, you, cool. you don't you don't get there just by saying hey i want to do this today you, you get there by practicing and practicing and practicing um and y- allowing for the process to lead you where you need to go yeah it feels a uh, a lot like um exploring an un- unknown land you know oh, yeah. or or something but it's like a never ending land because over and over again it seems to be proved that um there's there's just more there is just more behind that like once you get to this level then by nature of getting to that level you'll be able to see into the next level that was previously hidden you know? Absolutely. And th- that's it's, where math comes in. 
the possibilities truly are endless. You know, if we are to marry the science with the, you know, the unknown realm, it it's science has proven that time and time again. There is no one absolute answer. It is constantly evolving and the possibilities, the mathematical possibilities are endless. Wow, that's awesome. I love that science is proving that because if it is true that like there's no whatever absolutes or uh, and that anything is possible kind of vibes, uh, then to me the obvious choice is to within that select the most joyous and life-giving and uh, lyrical and most harmless or least harmful way that you can. That's so true. I, I'm with you on that. I absolutely love that. Rashad, I could sit and talk to you for hours and hours and hours. And even though this this awesome chat has proven to be slightly challenging with the glitch of technology that today was not on our side, but I think it only flavored what is already so rich and colorful about our bonds as human beings and certainly about what you bring into the world that is full of uh, partially mystery, partly unknown, and uh, exquisitely um, joyful, like you were just now referencing. Um, and so thank you so much for like taking time out of your day today and, and spending more time than we really wanted to um, on this somewhat uh, challenging technical process, but what for me turned into an unbelievably rewarding chat and visit and exploration and adventure. Uh, I really, really, really want to thank you for taking the time of to just to be here and to hang out and be so present. Oh, you're super welcome. And uh, thank you also, likewise, for letting me, uh, giving me a opportunity to talk about these cool things that I wish I got to talk about with people more. Because, you know, I mean, I'm all about the, uh, the spirit realm and the magic and the mystery and like all the things and also not waiting around for it to be proven. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you wait around for everything to be proven, you'll never get anywhere. You got to go out in a limb sometimes and be willing to be daring. And, uh, well, if we're waiting yeah. for it to be proven, then we might as well end it, you know, cause the journey, the, the proof is not till we're, transitioning into another realm which is the realm we know nothing about but while we're on the journey to get there let's have some fun let's open up to all the possibilities right absolutely well rashad before i say complete our, our last and complete goodbye for today um i do want to do a little speed round question fun thing with you and i just want you okay. to answer with the first uh answer that comes to mind you ready okay all right okay so if not music what Mm, poetry. Mm. Uh, favorite animal? M lemur. Nice. A country that you haven't but would like to visit? Oh, oh, I totally know this. Um, what country is it? There's one that I'm always thinking of. Oh, India. You've never been to India? Uh-uh. It's supposed to be a speed round question, but I'm like, what? Okay, uh, we'll have to talk about that some other time because that's my dream destination as well. Um, tofu or tempeh? Tofu. Uh, trees or ocean waves? We talked Trees. Yeah, I, I knew the answer. Um, all right, favorite sneth word or character, if that's even possible for you to answer. Favorite sneth word. Oh gosh, that's tough because there's so many words. But mm. I would have to say, uh, what would I, what was I gonna say? 
I don't know. This the one that's coming to me at the moment is Pilioglobin Thies. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Favorite instrument? Uh, the cello. Second to the cello? Guitar. Uh, okay. Composing music or writing lyrics? Mm, they're not separate. Oh, they're one for you. Um, hats or outfits? Hats. And the last question, which is the most important question, you have to help us solve the global dispute. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? If it's vegan pizza, totally. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, Rashad, we adore you. I, I absolutely love chatting with you and hanging out with you. And I look forward to the next time we can... Once this is all settled, to give you more than just a, an elbow bump, but a big hug. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. You're so welcome. Oh, and I had, I had one more thing that I was going to add. Please. Just a, a word to think about. You know how, because we've been talking about what's possible and impossible and how, you know, for the balance and stuff, a lot of stuff seems impossible, whatever, yes. it, whatever. It came to my attention recently that I am an imp and... When something is impossible, that just means that it's possible for an imp. But you have to get onto the imp frequency first. You are amazing. I, I just, I can't. This, I mean, I'm going to have to sit with that and really spend time processing that. Because there is so much permission in what you just said. I think if we all look at ourselves or allow the little imp in us to show up, we really can conquer so much more collectively. Can you imagine? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Imp, imp World Takeover would be a pretty friendly takeover, you know? Is there a song in your future about your impism? Uh, maybe so, yeah. I suppose that I'll have to put that in there. It'll go into the uh, subconscious, like, song mining factory, and eventually it'll pop out somewhere. I love that. I look forward to that. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, my Jasmine. fellow imp, goblin wizard, uh, all of the above, Rashad, thank you so much. You take care of yourself. Okay. Okay. You too. All thank right. you. Tharnox. Bye-bye. Th very much. This podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk, edited and mixed by Eros Falk, original music by Dante and Eros Falk, recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website, jasminefalkdickerson.com. Ciao for now. Thank you.